I'm ready. Let's do it. Welcome, everyone, to episode 223 of the Mars Attacks podcast. I'm your host, Victor. And today we have a very special interview with Mr. Bob Nalbandian. The interview starts at roughly the 10-minute mark. So if you want to skip ahead, go on to do so. In the meantime, I want to set the interview up, talk about Patreon and everything else that we have going on. So. Um, if you're a follower of the show, you know that MarsAttacksRadio.com is the one-stop shopping spot for everything related to the Mars Attacks podcast. That's the social media links, the new releases post, which I do every Friday. That also means all of the great posts of regarding interviews and the live streams, the live stream, the signals from Mars live stream, which is where this specific interview originates from, uh, is broadcast or goes out live every Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific, 11 p.m. for those in the UK. And if you just so happen to be in continental Europe, or on the CET, Continental European Time. It is midnight Friday going into Saturday. Uh, please join us. There are links right there on MarsAttacksRadio.com where you can watch live, you can comment. And yeah, there are questions that you'll hear during this episode that were brought up during the show. So if you... If you decide to jump on, you can totally interact with not only the rest of the people in the chat, but you can also throw questions my way. And if I see it, I'll ask the guest. So there you go. Um, a lot of the people that are in the chat are my patrons, not going to lie. Almost all nine of them are there. A small group. Troll-free group, and we have a lot of fun talking music, uh, discovering different bands, answering different questions. For example, this week, the question that I proposed is, who's your big four out of the new wave of British heavy metal? And kind of an asterisk there. You couldn't pick Maiden. You couldn't pick Motorhead. No Def Leppard. No Saxon. And no Motorhead. So out of everyone else that's left, what four bands do you stick with? Want to get involved? Join us on Patreon for as little as $2 a month. And you could do that. Um, this week, a little late on the videos, only about three per day. I know some people have complained in the past, but it is what it is. You've got the ability to curtail your notifications, so that shouldn't be an issue. But uh, yeah. Anyway, just three videos per week. From those videos, the patrons select which ones they like, and the ones that they like go into the nice little playlist that we have going on Spotify and Apple Music. It's kind of our best of 2021, 2021, depending on how you want to say it. Um, anyway, 
So what um what we're doing is pretty much again what I'm doing is just adding videos, video content every day. And um I don't know. I've I've again, I've mentioned this in the past. I love bringing new bands to people's attention, and that's why I do it. And also, you know, I see other people's Patreon. I I cut back on Patreon about a week ago just because there's a bunch of people that I was, you know, backing. And, you know, there's some ridiculous things where initially things start out as, oh, you'll be getting my content every week. And then all of a sudden it's every two weeks. And then you sign up and... You know, everything seems like it's at a different, it's at a decent rate, let's say. And, you know, I was paying 10 bucks a month with someone and that was supposed to be their top thing. And it's funny because the music that you hear during these episodes, not saying that it's great, but to avoid any issues with things being kicked off of Spotify or YouTube or whatnot. I use stuff that I've put together and sometimes there are guests that are involved. Sometimes there aren't, but one of the people that I backed is someone that I had asked to be involved in laying down a solo. This was years ago. And I was told, no, 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 I can't do that. I can't do that. I can't do that. Well, lo and behold, for 50 bucks, you can now get him to solo on your shit. So um, anyway, <laughs> yeah, um, I'm, I'm trying not to be an old fart, quote unquote, because that's what I've been told that uh, I sound like. I sound like I'm out of touch or whatever. Uh, so be it. I mean, I don't know. Um, Maybe I am. I'm, I'm, I don't know. Uh, I think that with what I do with this show, I think that you guys enjoy it. I, I seem to get positive feedback from everyone. Um, and, you know, I've always been open to receiving criticism. And, you know, I've evolved things. I've evolved things with Patreon, for example, where my patrons said, hey, we don't like this type of show. Why don't you do this kind of thing? And that's what I've done. I've gone and switched things up to making it more about music news and stuff like that. So, because believe me, these last few weeks <laughs> have been real shit shows. But anyway, not with those podcasts, but in other areas. Uh, let me just go through the nine patrons. I mentioned I have nine. These are my nine patrons, and I thank them for backing what I do. Uh, let's start. This is in the order that they have joined. It is Steve Hoker, Jeremy Weltman, Mike Jones, Brad Dahl, Mark Striegel, Gabriel Ruiz, Chris Vaglio, Jose Ruiz, and Jerry from Long Island. Thank you, all of you guys, for being involved and backing what I do. And, you know... There you go. That's what I was looking for. I should have been ready. There are other ways that you can support, like, and share these episodes. If you enjoy one of these shows, like and share and tag the person that I'm interviewing. You know, let Bob Now Bandian know, hey, 
I really like that interview you did with Victor on Mars Attacks. You know, that gives them a reason to come back and later do some other stuff. Uh, tonight, I'm talking to Joshua Toomey of the Talk To Me and Drag the Water podcast. He recently joined NotFest, and that should be a really cool discussion. I'm looking forward to that. But um, yeah, again, I thank you guys for spending your time with me during this episode or anyone that decides to check out the live stream or decides to revisit some of the older episodes. I realize that there's a million podcasts out there and I just want to say thank you. I like to say that every episode and let you guys know how much I appreciate that. Again, you decide to spend time with me and not spend it or share time. I should say I've never been one of these people to say, Hey, just listen to me and screw that other guy. Never been the case to me. It's a brotherhood. We can all add different seasoning to your week. Hopefully it helps your week go by quicker. Hopefully it helps you stay sane with everything that has been going on. So yes, thank you. Again, MarsAttacksRadio.com. You'll find all the links for all that great stuff. If you're looking for anything in the way of web design, logo design, audio editing, hit me up at vmrit.com as well. Everyone else pimps their own stuff, so why shouldn't I? So anyway, there you go. We're going to jump right into the episode with Mr. Bob Nalbandian. There's no reason why somebody like Bob Nalbandian with his rich history should know or acknowledge who I am, but he does. I consider him a friend. Thanks. Hope you guys enjoy. See ya. Welcome, everyone, to the June 4th edition of the Signals from Mars live stream brought to you by the Mars Attacks podcast. Um, Welcome, everyone, in the chat. Jeremy in the UK. Art in uh, New Jersey, and joining me, Mr. Bob Nalbandian. How are you, sir? I'm doing good, I'm doing Victor. Good. How are you doing, man? I'm doing good. I had the pleasure of being on your show a few weeks ago. That was fun. Um, yeah, it was, was a lot of fun. I, I always think, you know, when I hear you talk about the people you rub elbows with and, and everything else, I, it always comes to mind. Why the hell does Bob talk to me? <laughs> but you've always been a down-to-earth guy and you've always been very encouraging um to me um even behind the scenes when i've had difficulties with uh, health and everything else you've always been there and very encouraging so i thank you for all your years of you know being uh being a friend uh you know in the podcasting world so dude you're welcome you know we're we're old school and we've been a part of the community for many many years and me that's what the metal community is all about it's about you know friendship it's not about um you know ego and hanging out you know whether or not you know famous people or not it's you know everyone in the metal community is an equal and we're all have the same passion the same goals and not just in the metal community but i mean i think there is a special bond obviously with people that you know grew up into metal and have the same ambitions and, you know, same kind of there, there's just a lot of similarities with, uh, with everything. And, you know, it's, it's just a, a good thing. And, you know, I always say, I was just, 
you know, lucky. I was in the right place at the right time, you know, during the early 80s, right in L.A. and Orange County. And for some reason, I was smack in the middle of, of, uh, you know, a lot of the major stuff that was going on. And I, you know, but way before they were famous, you know, when the beginnings of the independent metal scene started cropping up and, you know, toward the end of the you know new wave of British heavy metal, I was on this side of the coast, and I knew all the people there, and I knew all the major players just because of of uh, we were all fans then. No one see what right. we started. No one was rock stars then. We were all like on an equal level, you know. Whether right. it be me or Flagle or Mike Varney, I mean, before they started the you know uh, their labels, you know, everyone we we were just fans. The guys in Metallica, the guys in Armored Saint. You know, we were just all metal fans, you know, it was, right. so it wasn't like one person was up above. And that's how I kind of look at everyone still in the mm-hmm. metal community where, you know, and when I talk to people like a, a Dave Mustaine or Lars Ulrich, you know, it's still we're just metal fans. It's like we were talking 30 years ago in, in their bedroom talking about metal. So it's not really, you know, to me, not much of a difference. You know, on the outside, people might look at it as something weird, but, you know, that's <laughs> Everyone's the same, man. <laughs> can you ever, you know, looking back, can you ever think of a band that maybe you turned any of those guys onto where maybe you'll hear like a Lars or a Mustaine talk up a band and say, hey, I was the one that introduced you to that band's music. That I introduced them to? Yeah. Um, I don't know. Uh, you know, when I, when I first met with uh, Joey Vera and Armored Saint, we uh, Joey and I became real close. Um, uh, actually, it seems I'm a little bit closer with John now. But we're I mean we're all right. we're all like family, all the guys. Um, but uh, Joey and I used to trade. I used to give him uh, tapes of New Wave mm-hmm. of British heavy metal bands, and I think I gave him tapes of the first Merciful Fate EP, or and might have even been from their demos. I would always make compilations tapes for my friends, and that's what we did. I mean, Lars made compilation yeah. tapes for us, you know, for my buddy Patrick and I, and I would kind of do the same. You would turn people on to new metal. And so uh, I would make these tapes. So there were a lot of bands, you know, Joey would call, oh man, this band's great. And I remember he recalled, oh man, this band, Merciful Fate. And, and I mentioned them because now he's playing with them. You know, he's jazzed. Right. He's actually <laughs> but it was funny. He's, you know, I don't know if, I'm sure he probably heard of the band maybe before, but yeah, that right. was, was the first time he heard their music. And he's, you know, like, man, that, that, you know, those songs, those riffs, oh man, you know. So, yeah, I think there's there's that kind of stuff, and there are a lot of other bands and uh, you know uh, people I worked with, like Mike Henry from August Red Moon. I would always make, I'd always try to get them to go heavier, you know, get heavier here. Here's all the new British metal, and you know, we're talking 1981, right. even the, the 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 Dutch and German metal. I probably even throw some threw some Baron Rojo in there, you know, who knows? But, <laughs> you know, just different. So they, they could, you know, kind of see, because, you know, when you were in LA back then, you know, uh, again, I hate saying, you know, pre-internet and pre this and that, but you didn't really know that there was a, a huge metal scene internationally and that right. it was a real heavy scene. So, you know, it was really interesting for, you know, people like that to hear bands out of France and Holland and, you know, Sweden. And it's like, wow, you know, it's uh so, yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely, you know, musicians and people I turned on, you know, I, you know, I, yeah, probably turned on to a lot of that, like new wave of British heavy metal or European bands at that time. Yeah, that that's cool that you mentioned that um, a few weeks ago. I had 
my patrons came on. We were talking about Iron Maiden, and I wanted to make a point to have uh, one of them who's in the UK, Jeremy, who's actually in the chat right now. Um, and I wanted to talk about, you know, finding out about Maiden and how different it was in the UK growing up and seeing the band rise internally, because obviously you're in England, you're going to perceive, you know, their rise or, you know, what they had going on differently than someone in LA, someone in the New York area like myself. Um, so that's always cool, you know, to, to find out, to hear different stories about, Hey, I heard them because of this, or this DJ played them, or, you know, I played a snippet of um, uh, Gene Hoagland meeting right. James Heffield for the first time. And it was over an Iron Maiden t-shirt. Yeah, um, well, that was from our documentary. Uh, that was actually a deleted scene from our documentary, I believe. Well, I actually have him uh, from way back when, from the classic oh, okay. album series that I did. He tells that same oh, story. Okay. <laughs> so yeah. um, I remember, I, met, I actually know the party he was talking about because it was a Caton. <laughs> played in his band right uh before la chaos uh it might have just been chaos they were called and i remember that party but for uh, for some reason i didn't go but he he went he was like 13 and i knew right. him back then when he was 13 because his, his sister would, was, was a photographer and she would take him everywhere to a lot of the concerts and stuff and uh, right i was always jealous of him because he would go to la shows and you know i was i was like three or four years older and i was you know i I, he was going up to the Troubadour and all that stuff at 13, right. you know, and it was tough for me to get up there from Orange County. But uh, so he would usually tell me about some of the shows he would see, you know. But yeah, uh, Gene's awesome. Great yeah, team. absolutely. He still holds the record for, I had him on for five and a half hours, I think. He just yeah. kept telling oh, stories talk. and stories and stories. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, he, he could definitely talk, that guy. Yeah. Yeah. What was the. Um, the first band that you felt like a, a kinship with, or, or maybe the one that kind of lit the spark for you to say, Hey, you know what? I really want to do something within, you know, rock and metal. Uh, I want to get involved in the scene somehow. That would definitely be uh, August Redmond and, and, and Mike Henry uh, who sadly passed away in uh, 97. Uh, he was in August Redmond and then in a band called Eden, who I managed we okay. did one album on Enigma Restless, and then he was in a band called Armed Forces that were on Bizarre Straight Records, and uh, just never, never had much luck. When it, but at the time he was in Armed Forces, he was dealing with cancer pretty bad, so he was kind of in and out of the hospital. But I'll tell you a, a, a quick, a fun story. Um, you know, I must have been sixteen at the time, and this was probably just before I met, you know, like like Lars and and uh, from Metallica. And, uh, I was going to the the Woodstock. I you know found out about this club, the Woodstock, and and back then it was all ages. So I was mm -hmm. uh, you know uh, you know I had just you know I have to borrow my mom's car, so I'd always have to be back by midnight or whatever. And I just tell them I'm going to a movie because no way they would want me to go to some you know I'm this shady you know rock club right. you know and uh, <laughs> you know I always see Dante Fox who turned into Great White and you know all yeah. these. Bands, Max Havoc, A La Carte were one of my favorites. They played all the time. And The White, who were a Zeppelin tribute. But I uh, remember at a Dante Fox show, I was uh, I had just got these patches. And again, this is, we're talking 80, 81, maybe. I had a, a Jag. <laughs> this is before the whole denim and leather thing got real big, at least in, in right. LA. I had like this 
nylon kind of jacket, like one of those jackets that coaches wear, those cheap, you know, those thin right. thing jackets. And I had I found there was a head shop in Orange County in Costa Mesa that actually had they, uh, the guy, I guess, was a British guy, and he had uh, patches of motorhead and Saxon, and, and oh, you wow. couldn't find that anywhere in L.A. And, right. and my buddy told me, also, I went to the head shop, I got these patches of motorhead, Saxon, and, and pins, the Iron Maiden, and, and you know, I had already had, you know, Rainbow and Judas Priest, and I thought, you know, man, I'm cool, man, this 16-year-old, short-haired, skinny little kid wearing this jacket, and I remember going to the Woodstock wearing this jacket thinking, oh, man, people are going to think I'm cool, man. I'm like this total <laughs> metal kind of guy because, you know, I right. was just when Kerrang! just came out and I was, you know, looking at the, all those old photos and, you know, the headbangers. I'm like, I'm going to be like that, I'm, you know. And I went to the Woodstock and I just, people were just giving me shit. Like, what the fuck? What are you, some kind of a biker? What the fuck is a motorhead? You work on cars and, you know, and I'm just like, oh, man, you know. And I like kind of have my head down. And then right. this guy uh, in, in the concert hall comes up to me. He's like, dude, are you from England? And I go, no, I'm from Huntington Beach. He goes, oh, man, you you got the, all these patches. Like, you know, I read about like all these British headbangers with motorhead. And he goes, man, how do you know of all these bands? And I'm like, you know, I like lit up. I was like, wow, some guy's into it. And it was Mike Henry from August Red Moon. Oh, and wow. he wasn't really into He knew about all these bands. And he had heard about, you know, Motorhead and Saxon. And boom, we instantly became friends. And uh, uh, and that really kind of got me going. And, you know, he was the first guy, you know, just, just before Lars. And the funny thing is, right around that time, I used to see James Hetfield. And this is before right. him and Lars got together. Mm-hmm. would be at these shows. And he, you know, at first he was wearing a Motley Crue shirt. Then he was wearing a Motorhead shirt. But I remember he would always kind of steer me down, like, you know, uh, when I had my jacket. And I thought, oh, you know, I got turned away because I was, you know, uh, you know, oh, man, this guy's going to kick my ass or something. I better, like, you know. <laughs> and then uh, finally I met with him after I heard that he had got together with Lars. Mm-hmm. And I said, hey, you're, you're the singer of Metallica, right? And he's like, how do you know, man? We haven't even played a gig yet. I go, well, I met your your drummer, Lars. We went to his house. He's got this great metal collection. And he goes, yeah. He goes, dude, you know, I see you all the time. I'm always, I always like checking out your jacket, you know? And I'm going, oh, man, I thought you were like staring me down. Like you want to kick my ass. We just laughed, you know? And it was just, uh, it was cool. But that was like right around that time. So that was just such a cool time because it was like the beginning of, you know, this, this, you know, this kinship about this British metal, which kind of brought, right, right. you know, brought everyone together. But, you know, since then, I became real close with August Redmond. They were always, you know, my kind of band, my band that I always pumped. And then I got into Armored Saint shortly after I saw one of their very early club shows and was just totally blown away. And, you know, then I would trade all those. Uh, we'd make live tapes and I'd send them to all over England and, uh, you know, magazines, Art Shock and people on Metal Forces and all the pen pals I had. and. And, right, you know, get right. the buzz rolling and get all these, you know, and they loved it. They, you know, that they wanted you to send their bootlegs out, you know, because it got them exposure. And, you know, even back then doing the demo tape costed, you know, a few hundred bucks, which was, you know, a lot of money back then. So I would just bring in a big ghetto blaster, record the concert. And, you know, it, within a month, you know, all the hardcore metalheads all over the world had a copy of their tape. You know, it's it was insane the way that that network worked. So it, yeah. it was a good time. Yeah, it was it was definitely fun. Did they ever give you a hard time over um, recording shows? No, no. They always wanted me to, re- you know, it was funny because I'd bring the, 
because uh, <laughs> back then this you know we're talking like i said 81 i don't know if you remember they, they i don't know what they call them but they used to call them ghetto blasters yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and they're huge and they take like eight uh like d batteries or whatever those giant batteries and within an hour or two the batteries would wear out <laughs> and and it would, it would go fast you know the, the speed would go fast so sometimes i would go you know uh, do armored or armored saint or august redmond and the opening bands oh dude can you record us can you record us so i record them and then by the headlining band you know i didn't know that then but after i got home i listened to the tape you know it's all speeded up and i'd be like so pissed off why did i record the opening band but um no but everyone wanted you know they like they knew i kind of had a reputation i guess back then of recording bands and getting them exposure and you know you know, they were getting, you know, little things in Ard Shock and Metal Forces and, you know, reviews. So everyone wanted wanted it to happen. It's it's not like not like today at all, you know. Okay. Okay. Um, um, oh, I'm starting to hear some of Um Yeah, that's interesting because I remember hearing um way back in the day, one of the first people that I ever came in contact to that was remotely Part of the LA scene was Kevin Estrada, and ah, he was yeah. working at Hollywood Records back then. Yeah. Um, and it was funny; he would tell me his stories about sneaking in to see Van Halen play, and how you know he'd have to sneak the camera in, and how he'd have to sneak you know the rolls of film in and out, and that he had gotten caught several times. So, hearing you tell that story about the Ghetto Blaster. That's why I was asking if there was ever any issues because no, the clubs didn't care. Well, you know, this is the only, I, I I mainly did it at the Woodstock. I never went to the Whiskey okay. or the Roxy. They might have had, they were a lot more strict, the Hollywood clubs. But the Woodstock, they they could give a shit. The great, that was a great thing about that club. It was all ages. <clears throat> I remember, I used to drink beer at 16, 17. I'd have just the guys <laughs> buy me a beer. And, you know, sometimes they'd just catch you. Hey, you know, you're too young. Don't be there. Describe the beer away. And, yeah, I just got another one. You know, it wasn't it wasn't like they kick you out or cut. You know, it was that's just right. how it was back then. And you know, it was it was just cool, man. It was it was very laid back, and they, you know, they didn't they didn't care. Uh, uh, you know, they kind of encouraged it. You know, as oh, cool, Bob. You know, you know, now make sure that you put the Woodstock. You know, that was recorded at the Woodstock. You know, and whatever. <laughs> but you know, there's still a lot of those tapes I think floating around somewhere, that's somewhere the in the tape reader list. I have to check uh, through my old bootleg cassette collection if there's anything that's from the Woodstock in California. Maybe you originally recorded it, and well, I have I like 15th generation copy. And I don't even have most of them. There's a great one of uh, August Redmond from the Woodstock and also from the Concert Factory. There are a couple Woodstock ones I recorded of Armored Saint very early on. Um, yeah, there's a few, a few of them out there. Yeah, they're real quickly here. There's someone in the chat saying hello to uh, Bob. Unfortunately, due to Facebook's regulations, unless you go to this link, uh, chat.restream.io forward slash Facebook, we can't see your, we can't see who you are. So that's good old Facebook and their rules. So if you uh, want to let us know who you are, do that or just say, hey, I'm so. I'm looking at the chat room now. You've got quite a few people. Brad yeah. Dahl and Jeremy, Jeremy Weltman. How you guys doing? So, yeah. We have a good crew of guys that come back week after week and enjoy what we do. And I mentioned that you were coming on and they were all thrilled. So um, 
You brought up August Red Moon, and obviously they were featured in uh, Inside Metal, um, a great series of documentaries that you started. Um, how, you know, looking back, how much did it mean to you to include bands like August Red Moon and Snow and bands that maybe, you know, didn't get to the level of an Armored Saint or a Metallica or a Megadeth to kind of get their name back out there again to try to, you know, fuel people's interest in them again? How much did you purposefully do that when you started this series? It meant a lot to me. And I wanted to, you know, when I originally got together with Joe and Warren, you know, Warren is is the, the person behind Metal Rock Films. The, the, the Metal Rock Films was started from Inside Metal. He's, he's, he's done a bunch of uh, uh, DVDs, a lot of, you know, conspiracy kind of DVDs. He's right. Uh, or movies and and. Uh, Back then, I, I don't know if it was streaming when we started. It was like 2012, but uh, we had um, a really good conversation, and you know, we fought a lot because he, you know, obviously he wanted all the name bands, and it's like, look, it, I want to start from the beginning. No one's touched the Starwood era, that that Van Halen era, and all mm-hmm. that, and and you know, my whole thing was to get the bands that were popular then, you know, because right. you know, the bands like Snow and Smile and and Quiet Riot and, and Van Halen, they were all on the same level. They were all headliners, right. you know, at, 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 at uh, you know, the, the, the you know, uh, Starwood and all these different clubs. So I wanted to bring the viewer back to, you know, 1978 or, or whatever, when we do these discussions. And that was, that was a, a, a main thing for me. And, you know, and I fought pretty hard with Warren about some, some of the stuff we were doing, but then he saw like a rough, a rough edit of the the first movie pioneers of la hard rock and metal and he like flipped out he goes dude i won't question you again this is this is this is this is really good <laughs> you know so and you know we included you know of course you know dave menichetti because he was a big part of that scene you know lars because he had just come over from denmark and so you know we had the big name guys in there as well you know stephen piercy chris holmes and, and all that but you know, again, I wanted to, you know, I know there was a lot of a bit artists and bands that people were not familiar with, uh, but I definitely wanted to include them because not only were they big on the scene, but they were very influential to me. They were like some of the first, they were some of the first local metal bands that got me into that whole local metal scene, you know, prior to, you know, Armored Sane and, and, and Metallica and, you know, Rat and Motley Crue and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. Cool. And, and I've always said this, what, really appeals to me about the the entire series and pretty much every documentary that you've worked on is that it's done from a standpoint where there are other name people that have put documentaries out there and they have to be involved. You're there, but you let them tell their stories. Oh, Bob just checked oh, out. Well, oh, okay. You I'm there? sorry. My fault. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> Yeah. So, so it's, um, I've always liked the fact that you've never, you've let the people you're interviewing and you've let their stories be the focal point of, of what you do. And you let those stories tell, you know, you bridge everything together and let that all tell this underlying story of how these different scenes all came together. You don't need to be the guy in the middle saying, well, my opinion is this. Well, my opinion is that. No, we're kind of getting it from the horse, horse's mouth where they're telling different their piece of the puzzle, basically. And you mentioned Joey Vera before. I'll always remember Joey talking about how 
you know, how they got into early Def Leppard and how that influenced them and how, you know, you're talking about the new wave of British heavy metal stuff and, um, and how all of that really little by little helped cobble a lot of these pieces together and what different bands did. And, and even with the Van Halen and Starwood stuff, how that obviously, you know, influenced what, what came after that. Um, was, you know, did you purposely go into it thinking, you know, I don't need, I don't need to be the center of attention. I just want to make sure that people understand what I live through. Absolutely. That was my goal from the beginning. And, you know, so many documentaries have an agenda, uh, right. you know, to, to, you know, to tell this storyline. And I always use the example of like the uh, VH1, you know, uh, uh, movies that they used to do. Uh, and it would always be, they would have, you know, uh, everything's great. The band's parting, then tragedy strikes. And then right. this, and they would always have the same plot. I mean, the same uh, thing going. And uh, my whole thing is I want to tell the history, give uh, mine is more from a, you know, a, 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 you know, some a, a history channel, discovery channel, just, just the real roots of the history. And, I never interviewed the band, really. I get them, we, we meet with them, and we just start talking, having a conversation. Right. And it's funny, because so many of the, the artists that I, I didn't know or I didn't know very well, some of them were hesitant because a lot of these guys are saying, you know, there are so many people that said where they were going to do a documentary and nothing ever happened, blah, blah, blah. And I said, well, you know, this is going to happen. And, uh, you know, once I started talking to them and they realized that, you know, I was a part of that whole scene. Then they opened up and then they, you know, they'd be talking for an hour or two and right. you know, we had the camera rolling. So it wasn't a Q and a kind of thing. It was like, just mm -hmm. tell your story. You know, I would bring up something about, Oh yeah. I remember that, that show at the Starwood or, you know, you did that show with Van Halen. Then they'd go off and talk about that show or whatever, you know, so that's what I wanted to do. So there was a lot of editing involved. Um, mm -hmm. As you know, Carl, I believe you've had Carl Alvarez on, on one of your yes, shows. Sir. He was my, uh, uh, for the early uh, Inside Metal titles, he was very involved with me, and of course Joe Floyd, the who, you know from Warrior, who was the the cameraman. He's the one that initially got me involved, and uh, a, pr a producer as well uh, that uh, you know uh, filmed everything. And it was great having Joe involved because everyone respected the fuck out of Warrior, from mm -hmm. you know Stephen Piercy to everyone. They they would all say, "Dude, you were the greatest." Ally. We all strive to be like Warrior, you know the the killer metal band that, and they all kind of felt bad that the band never did anything. And Joe's just such a cool, humble guy. And he's, and he's a guitar manufacturer. So when it came to like equipment, I mean, he's very successful with, with his guitar company uh, now, uh, but he's been involved in that. So he could talk, you know, musician stuff with these, you know, with people like Greg Leon who builds guitars mm -hmm. and stuff. And so everybody knew Joe too. So that was a really good plus. It's like, Oh, Oh, Joe Floyd's involved. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. We love Joe. He had, you know, silver cloud studio that he, so he produced a ton, ton of bands. And it's always a good team. And, you know, all, throughout the whole people we had from, you know, like, uh, you know, Joe and Carl to uh, uh, Curtis Donvito, uh, who did a lot of the editing um, to uh, uh, Robert uh, that uh, did, you know, uh, did a lot of uh, the editing on a couple of the, uh, 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 titles and of course the guys in reality check TV who did the Bay Area titles with us so you know we always had a team of metal heads and that kind of grew up in that era so they um, you know knew uh, you know 
uh, you know, we all came from the same school, basically. So, right. And that was always that was always a plus. Cool. Let's talk about the um, Bay Area Godfathers. Um, I personally ordered volume one and two tonight. Um, so hopefully that, well, they're supposed to come later this month. I have every documentary that you've released. So I needed to, uh, keep completing the, uh, the collection. Um, and, and I enjoy them. I think that they're good. I, you know, I wouldn't blow smoke up your ass and just say, Oh yeah, they're, they're great, Bob. No, I watch these, you know, as the music junkie that I am and absorb everything that these, you know, the, these stories and everything. I love it. I, I love everything that you've done so far. Um, how does Bay Area Godfathers differ from what you've done in the past? Do you feel that it differs at all? Uh, you just mentioned well, that the team is slightly different. Yeah. I mean, we, we always kind of keep the, um, the same format in a sense, you know, going back from kind of the earlier year, like late seventies. And, uh, you know, obviously the, uh, uh, LA titles we split in three uh, mo- three titles and and as you know each title has two parts two volumes right. you know we have pioneers of LA hard rock and metal LA metal scene explodes and the rise of LA thrash metal of course Bay Air Godfathers is just one you know two volume title so right we crunch a little bit more in there together but I think um, we still try to get got capture the whole picture from not just the thrash scene, which is so, you know, relevant in, in, in the Bay Area and what most people, you know, consider, you know, was the Bay Area sound, but there was so much more to that. So we've got a lot of power metal, glam, you know, uh, just traditional progressive rock and metal was huge, you know, in, in the early, you know, before before Metallica came and thrash metal thing started, that was a very, I mean, you know, going back to like Journey and Santana, bands like that, and, you know, the 60s, that, that whole proggy kind of, movement was was you know filtered over into the early 80s and then it kind of got into thrash but there were a lot of different diverse types of music uh right. in the bay area and we tried to capture as much as we could and again i i wanted to get people since i'm not from the bay area i want to get people that were in, in, involved in that scene and that grew up on that scene so my good friend john stranansky who i've worked with for many years in the 80s with his magazine metal rendezvous uh mm-hmm. he lives in texas now uh, he really wanted to get involved, and he he was uh, uh, kind enough to to get me in contact with everyone. He flew down uh, to here the the Bay Area in uh, in San Jose, and we met on uh, several different occasions, several weekends, and interviewed people. And of course, as I mentioned, Reality Check TV, Danny Shipman, my co-editor, he knew a lot of these guys, so he did his own little interviews of of a lot of these uh, these people, and and. You know, he knows the scene, you know, backwards and forward. And, uh, you know, Hugh did a lot of the uh, uh, the uh, the final editing and stuff. So it was a, it was a good team. You know, again, I had to get kind of I, I wanted to get, you know, my thing is I want to make it as authentic as possible. And as much right. as I knew about the San Francisco bands, I knew about all those bands, even from L.A. because I was a tape trader. Right. You know, I had the early even those early albums broke his helm and, you know, all those kind of vicious rumors, all that stuff when they first came out, all the U S metal albums, you know, but I wanted people that grew up in that, that area to be my, you know, co-producers. So, you know, it would be authentic, you know, so to speak. And uh, I think we captured it. I think it was good. I mean, it's, um, you know, uh, obviously there's, there's a difference between the LA and, and uh, uh, Bay area scene. I think, um, 
I would have liked to have got, gotten a little, dig, dig a little deeper and, it's, you know, maybe like Montrose and maybe some of the earlier, you know, uh, uh, you know, Sammy Hager and, and some of the, uh, uh, those late seventies bands. Um, right. uh, but you know, we could, we kind of, you know, we, we got Y and T and, and, and Mike Varney, who was a crucial part of that scene, you know, in, in the late seventies and early eighties. So, um, I, I think, uh, you know, yeah, it's, it's, it's a very similar format to the LA things, but just, uh, you know, definitely a different vibe, uh, in the Bay area for sure. Yeah. Anything that surprised you when you started, you know, interviewing people, any stories or anything that kind of stood jumped out at you? I mean, at, at this point, with everything that you've already done throughout your career and the other documentaries that you've done, I'm sure it's it's hard to probably shock uh, to shock Bob now banding in 2021. But was there anything that kind of stood out to you like a kind of, oh, I didn't know that, you know, type of a deal? Nothing really shocking. I, I I had heard stories, of course, and then you know doing the interviews, we really got confirmation. And I think you know, again, I like to say the cool thing about these documentaries is you know they 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 kind of go back in history, and th these guys are looking back in time about what happened. So you know, if, if you compare something like this to something that was made during the time, like a you know decline of Western civilization two, that was made in like. 87, 88, when that scene, LA scene and that whole hair metal and metal scene was going on, you know, everyone's going to act, you know, on ego right. and all this. And I think <laughs> now everyone kind of looks back and, you know, they could look back at us. Oh, some of this was silly. We were, they matured, people mature, right. you know, as you know, in the Bay Area, there was a huge thing against, you know, the poser metal and the glam metal right. and all that. So a lot of these artists, you know, from Exodus to Testament, to all these bands, they were saying, "Hey, man, you know, secretly we we were huge fans of, especially <laughs> the guitar players, you know, right? As you know, the Warren D. Martinis, the George Lynch, and yeah. even Eric Peter said said I, I was a huge Motley Crue fan. I know it wasn't cool back then, and wasn't cool to say back then, but you know, I used to you know uh, be into this. So you know, yeah, I think there's more of an honesty where back, you know, if, if I had done that uh, even 20 years ago, they probably wouldn't have admitted. Oh no, I was." I was all pure, you know. So I yeah. think there's more honesty. It's kind of like, you know. So, you know, again, it wasn't shocking, but it was good to get kind of that yeah. that confirmation of, uh, yeah, it is true that there, it was really. And of course, you know, Davey Vane was, you know, they yeah. all had a huge respect for him. He, you know, produced the Death Angel and he was, you know, one of those guys who was ultra glam. I mean, as glam right. as you get. But at the same token, you know, he worked with, he was very cool with these people. So, uh, you know, I think, you know, that, that was kind of a cool thing to, to get out of it. Yeah, that that was actually I was going to bring up Davey because of that, because he worked so much behind the scenes with a lot of these bands. And then he goes out to do his own stuff. And mm -hmm. as you said, I mean, very few people probably had bigger hair than in that whole yeah. you know area. So it's kind of interesting. And, and I remember years ago, um, I'm trying to think what band it may have been, but it was definitely a thrash band that um that eddie trunk was interviewing one night you know when i was a teenager and it was someone from the bay area i don't know if it was someone from testament or it could have been testament because of you know the whole megaforce uh connection um but the it, it was funny because they talked the question was you know what do you guys listen to on the bus 
And they said, well, you know, none of the other members of the band will cop to this, but we listened to a lot of Y&T. We listened to, uh, you know, and he started listening, you know, listing off bands that weren't, quote, that were quote unquote, weren't cool. And he said that he said, well, I won't tell you who's playing this tape, but, you know, this is in our rotation on the bus. And, you know, more than one of these bands, you won't hear anyone say that they listen to them. So it's funny, you know, hearing that all these years later, mm. hearing that they'll actually, you know, that it's not a big deal because, you know, those were some monster players, you know, Martini and Lynch. Absolutely. I mean, w- whether you were into their music or not, they did a lot of stuff that changed a lot of people's, you know, playing. There's, um, I mentioned this to Chris Aiken when, when I interviewed him a few weeks ago. Uh, Mark Morton of Lamb of God put out a solo album, I think two years ago at this point. And there's a song where I've always said, it's the best Dokken song not recorded by Dokken. Um, and of course, Martin did? yeah, there's, oh, a, wow. yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. It sounds so much like Dokken. He sounds so much, so much like George Lynch on this track and wow. just the way that the bridges and choruses are. But of course, how it was built up in the press when it came out, you know, the the usual sites that, you know, that we know that don't want to admit to that music ever having an influence. Oh, this is some great blues rock. Like, bullshit. Just say it's <laughs> fucking 80s hard rock. What's the problem with that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, still gets, still gets that negative name. But it's funny you bring up Y&T because they, they were kind of like Van Halen in, in LA. Right. No matter how cheeseball they got with like David Lee Roth and, you know, Y&T kind of got cheesy with the summertime girls, which I think they'll readily admit. They always had the respect from because all the people in the Bay Area, that was their go to band growing up. Yeah. You know, whether you're you're from Exodus or Testament or or or, or, or Vane or, or whoever they were. And so they always got mad respect, which they deserved. Dave Medichetti. You know, as far as a frontman, guitarist, vocalist, you know, yeah. he can better than than that. And he influenced so many people in that in that scene. And and they busted their ass, you know, since yeah. 1974. A lot of people don't realize. So, yeah, bands like that will always get the mad respect. But there's other bands that, you know, that don't get as much respect or that, you know, people will never admit to, to liking. But I think I think now it's, you know, they're to the point where like, nah, who gives a shit? You know, it's not. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, absolutely. Um, with, um, with these last two volumes, do you feel that you've improved anything from say the production value or anything from a technological standpoint, as opposed to the previous volumes that you've released? No. Um, <laughs> I mean, production, no, I, I'd laugh because a lot of people say it, it might've even been a little worse on this, to, uh, <laughs> but we know our, our whole thing with the, you know, the filming and the stuff. I kind of like that gorilla kind of filming. Like I said, yeah. Danny, I didn't, I, you know, I had my guy. It was, it was kind of tricky because I, I had people in LA because I'm from LA. Mm-hmm. I had, you know, like Carl and, 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 uh, uh, Joe were my, you know, with the camera guys and they were always pretty much available. And then I had a couple other side camera guys in LA I could, I could call on. But up here, I had my, my partner, uh, uh Alex, Alex Gray. Who was the camera guy? Who was a professional camera guy? So all the real pro looking stuff he did, but he, you know, he worked for the uh, ABC News Channel out here, so he's busy all the time. So I couldn't get him all the time. So Danny right. did a lot of his stuff just with his. He was supposed to get you know a Hugh and the whole pack and get you know audio and everything, but 
a lot of the stuff you just did with his camcorder with an open mic, you know, but, uh, you know, uh, you know, like with, with a, a Stone Vengeance and a, uh, you know, Leather Leone and, and uh, you're the other artist. Uh, but I, I kind of dug it. It kind of worked because it was, I don't like just a regular talking heads where everything's all perfect and right. people are made up. It's, you know, you got the same thing, you know, I mean, he did some great stuff with, you know, members of Death Angel and other bands, you know, right off the stage and just kind of more uh, just spontaneous kind of interviews, which I always think are cool. So I dig it. But, you know, a lot of people, you know, when it comes to, you know, QC and in fact, we've been having some issues, as, as you might have uh, known, why uh, I'll tell people now why part two isn't streaming yet. Uh, we had to deal with fix some audio issues. Uh, okay. It went to DVD. That was fine. But a lot of these, you know, like iTunes and, and Amazon, they're they're strict about certain audio things. So we had to go back in and fix some stuff. So they will be streaming soon for uh, uh, Bay Area Godfathers Part 2. But uh, anyway, to get to your point, you know, I didn't really look at it to make it, uh, you know, I'm, it's not a huge budget document you know, series, as, mm-hmm. as you know. We don't, but I kind of... Um, uh, you know, to me, it's not about the quality, qual- uh, the, uh, the, the, the quality of the filming. It's more about the, the quality of the interviews and the insight right. of they bring to the table. And, and, you know, we kind of tried to make, especially like the, um, the, when we did the first one, uh, pioneers of LA hard rock and metal, we want to kind of give it that seventies vibe. And that's why we were so fortunate for that. You know, we had got, you know, people from snow and smile and other bands and a la carte. They had old great footage from the Starwood, you know, film footage, Quiet Riot. Right. Uh, Dave Forrest, the Quiet Riot's old manager, you know, had great footage with, uh, you know, Kevin DeBro and Randy Rhodes, you know. And uh, so we were able to use that. So we wanted to kind of give it that vibe because I love watching 70s documentaries when they have that kind of vibe, whether it be a music documentary or or uh, you know, a skateboard documentary like that, the Dogtown sure. Rolls of Dogtown, what have yeah, had all that old footage for because mm-hmm. you know, I grew up in Huntington Beach and I remember in 1978 and 77 when Stacy Peralta and Tony Alvo, they were like gods to the yeah, surf yeah. community where I lived and the skateboard community. I mean, they were in Venice, but Huntington was also a big surf skateboard right. town and and they had all that old footage of the pool and it was and they kind of made it like a 70s, you know, yeah. it, will, it brings you back to the 70s. And, sure. I, and a lot of people, which was the best compliment, you know, told me the same thing, especially with with Pioneers and some of those old movies that just, just brought them back to that era, you know. And that's kind of, uh, you know, it's that good feeling you get. And I think same with Bay Area Godfathers, you know, of course, uh, you know, Reality Check had great. For, unfortunately, they didn't have footage from r- the early 80s. Most of it was from early 90s and stuff. but. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, we still were able to use a lot. You know, they, it was still one. You know, the Stone and the Omni and all these cultures still around, so we still got a lot of footage from from Ruthies and places like that. So, um, you know, it, it was it was cool. But uh, uh, you know, that, that's always that's always a, a difficult thing is to find good old footage that you're able to use. And of course, like I said, we don't have a big budget, and a lot of people wonder why we don't use original music. It's because licensing fees cost so much uh, right. for music. Uh, so that's why we had, uh, you know, Ralph Vieira, who you might know from, uh, yep. uh, he does a lot of podcasts and he also Almost Human and different other podcasts he does on YouTube. And he's got a great band, Thrash or Die, 
who sound mm-hmm. very much like a early Bay Area thrash metal band. So artists like uh, him and tons of other artists that are friends of mine that had demo tapes that they own, they own the master tapes to everything. Uh, they uh, contributed music for us really basically for free, just for credit, which I'm very thankful for throughout the whole Inside Metal series. We were able to get some really good music. Uh, and then some of the stuff we were able to get some of the original demos and stuff that, that people we just couldn't use licensed music so you know well we had to make the most of what we we, we Mm -hmm. could get and i think we did a good job yeah and and that's an interesting or a very important point it's something that i've tried to um uh kind of hit home with some people that have wanted to put out like you know different like video uh content or whatever people are so used to seeing stuff on their cell phones nowadays you know so even Sometimes maybe people overthink when it comes to uh, presenting some some of this stuff. Um, I think what you're saying is is great, given you know catching people coming off stage with with a camcorder that isn't 4K or something just like over the top, because it kind of gives you that feel to you know the sweatiness of coming off stage to what it was like back in the day, where everything didn't have to be like you were talking to the guy in the room next to you. You know, it kind of helped build that aura up. I agree. I agree. And we kind of, you know, we wanted that vibe. And and even though, you know, now and more and more, there's more and more, more people doing these kind of documentaries and it's getting kind of saturated. So I think a lot of right. these companies have to be more strict about their QC, their you know, quality control issues as far as, uh, you know, when it comes to audio and video, but you know, I do like that 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 gorilla kind of vibe yeah. about it, and I think it kind of, especially when you when it comes to thrash and something that's supposed to be underground and dirty and yeah. not yeah. slick and not you know you know all glossy and stuff. You want to give it that dirty kind of edge, and and yeah. uh, that's why I think I said not not that the production value was any worse, in, so to speak, on this, but we try to keep that true grit of the. Uh, you know, that Bay Area kind of thrashed, uh, not just the thrash, just the grittiness of the Bay Area back in the 80s. Yeah. You know, we want, again, to kind of bring that that viewer to the vibe of what it was like living back then, you know, in 1984 or whatever, or 83. Mm-hmm. You know? So uh, that's that was always something important to me. Cool. Uh, let's talk about the podcast. Um, you had me on the other day and I realized that I'd, uh, this month, 12 years that I've been podcasting. I, I didn't, you know, I knew it was somewhere over 10, but I didn't know exactly how much. How long have you been doing Shockwaves for? Uh, you, as far as a podcast? Um, well, I started as a podcast. You know, I was doing stuff with hard radio. Right. Uh, just on their website. And then Tracy Barnes from hard radio asked me, hey, are you familiar with podcasts? And this was probably around 2004 or five. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I said, no. Uh, uh, and then, uh, you know, a couple other people, my friend Bill Hale and a few other people were telling me about podcasts. Oh, go to iTunes. You know, there's, you know, the, the I found, you know, Talking Metal had just started mm-hmm. and the Rock and Roll Geek Show. And I'm hearing other podcasts. And 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 Tracy's going, you know, well, why don't you consider starting a podcast? I said, okay, I don't have a clue you want to i could i could put it together uh you know and uh 
you know, we started doing it. And he, you know, back then, as you may remember on iTunes, you had to do all this coding. It was a bit, you couldn't just go on yeah. a, a network like a Spreaker or an anchor and boom, they could put it on. You had to code everything. It was yeah. very difficult yeah. to get on these, these, these things, but you know, Tracy knew how to do it. So that got me into the shockwaves, hard radio podcasts, which are just straight up interviews. Then, uh, you know, I was doing stuff on that. Like, uh, we were going through album reviews, like with our, our album catalogs, like Judas Priest and Deep Purple. And I'd always have Martin Popoff and, and uh, Monty Connor, who I've known for years. And because they right. were always just a fun team, because they would always argue and stuff. And we did a couple <laughs> of those, I think, on on uh, one or two, maybe, on the Shockwaves Hard Radio. And then Monty said, hey, you know, we could put you on our website. You know, we do, at the time, they were doing Blabbermouth. They were hosting Blabbermouth yeah. and a couple other things because we could host a, a thing. And I said, again, I go, dude, as long as you produce it, I'll just give you the audio. And if, yeah, if someone can do it, cause I don't know anything about that technical shit. He said, sure. No problem. So that happened, I think around 2007 or eight. Okay. I, I would have to go back and look, but that's when we started the shockwave skull sessions. And my whole thing for the skull sessions, cause I was kind of sick of just doing the straight up interviews. There's only mm-hmm. so much you could say, so much you could talk to. And then, you know, of course, when, you know, somebody comes out with a new album, you know, whether it be a Judas Priest or a smaller band or whatever, all the podcasts would, you know, interview these guys at the same time. And then you would all put out a lot of the same questions, a lot of, you know, it's like, let yeah. me do something different. Let me do, you know, let's not, I wanted to start a discussion style thing where it's, you know, two or three people or more, whether we go through a catalog or whether we talk about a certain topic whether it be about the business side of music or just a fan-based episode about, you know, thrash metal or Metallica or whatever, you know, I just right. thought it'd that's, that's when I kind of started that. And then all of a sudden, a lot of these other podcasts started doing these discussion style stuff, you know, <laughs> after I started doing it, but, uh, uh, you know, but it was fun. And, and I, I keep it going. And again, it was never, you know, I never looked at it as 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 a, a means of business. You know, of course, it's, mm-hmm. it's nice to make a little money. I mean, we've had some, you know, some some sponsorships. Well, when I started, it was funny because uh, back then, before social media and all that, when I started the podcast with Hard Radio and we had the website going, we could get some sponsors to do, to, you know, and right. my record labels would actually sponsor, you know. and uh, But, you know, again, that was before the social media and all that, so they had no other avenues of you know that so that was kind of fun i was making a little bit of money but then after that i was just like yeah you know it's not about the money it's just about you know it's a hobby i missed it you know and then it's funny when i stopped when i around 2012 i stopped doing the shockwave skull sessions and that was around the time i think uh road runner uh, warner brought out road runner so it was it, it was a perfect time because i didn't have time because i was doing the uh documentaries and just recently as you know uh not even two years ago, I guess, uh, Matt kept hitting me up. But Matt was a big fan of the Skull Sessions from way back from when it first started. And we've been in touch. And since I moved up here to, to San Jose, he lives in uh, 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 San Lorenzo. And he goes, dude, I got like a, a, a little studio. Like he kept hitting me, let's get that, let, you know, let's get the podcast going. I'll produce it. You know, you do it, it'll be fun. And I said, yeah, you know, I miss doing it, man. It was, it was fun. I said, let's do it. So that's when we started up again. So. Yeah, works out good. Cool. Well, what kind of a dynamic do you think that Matt brings to the show that you guys that you feel that you previously didn't have on your own? Well, it's cool because he comes. You know, he's a host. 
he's a little bit younger than me, quite a few years younger. So he grew up, uh, you know, on that New York scene, primarily like the hardcore scene. And, and he had a label, right. he had a great label called No Joke Records. He had a lot of great bands, but it was just the worst timing. Early 2000s, it was during the whole time when they were, you know, the streaming was taken over. He was all old school, had all the CDs and stuff, but he had some good bands mm-hmm. and he, he had a good, good sense of business and what to do. But it was... Uh, a difficult thing for him, but he always kind of liked the podcasting thing. And he, you know, again, I like that contrast because not, you know, uh, you know, I think one of our first ones we did together was, was with a uh, uh, Paris from uh, the Chromax. Uh, okay. We did a two part interview, which was great. Cause I was, I was really into the Chromax. I remember when that uh, Asia Coral record came out, I was like, God damn, this is cool. You know, it was right. different, uh, a really cool thing. And uh, so I, you know, I was, in, into that you know and and he's really into that he really knew that whole scene so he kind of brought that and i kind of wanted that contrast because you know as you know i mean I'm, I'm i'm 56 now i'm an 80s metal guy and even going back to the 70s late 70s but you know grew up during the 80s so i kind of i have been i try to keep up with a lot of obviously a lot of the current metal but you know since the 90s came around the grunge and alternative i got you know, I, I really got into, you know, like Soundgarden and Alice and James when they first came out. But, you know, right. into mid-90s or whatever, it was like, yeah, I'd just go back, listen to my 70s records in my 80s. And things just started to repeat itself. And so mm-hmm. I never got into. But then, you know, by knowing Matt and, and other people like that, he would turn me out to some bands that you know, I, I might have been unaware of uh, at the time. So that's always kind of cool to, to, to fall back on that. And, of course, as you know, he also does Aftershocks. Uh, yep. with Chris yep. Aiken, and that's more of a straight-up interview kind of thing. So, which is cool about them is, 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 is that podcast is they really expose new talent. Because, you mm-hmm. know, we got so many people, you know, Shockwave Skull Sessions, uh, you know, like newer bands. It's like, you know, that's that's really not our thing. We I we try to keep that more of a classic metal. Because uh, that's my thing. I mean, I don't, I, I'm not going to, and no offense to a lot of bands, but if I don't know a lot about it or if it's not a passionate thing for me, you know, I, 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 it, it, it just doesn't work for me. You know, I, I have to, you know, it's got to be uh, some cool. And I think um, there's a lot of different outlets for newer bands like Aftershocks and that kind of thing. And, um, and you know, another thing I think, uh, you know, not to have any disrespect for a lot of the newer artists, but they don't have that history or that it's almost like they're programmed on what they should and shouldn't say. And, you know, now everything's so different. And, you know, you talk to, you know, classic rockers from the 80s. They got they got stories to tell for days. And, you know, you got some of these new guys in and, you know, it's just kind of, you know, basically the same routine kind of. You can't really there's not a lot of history to talk about because, you know, they're they're fairly new, you know. And, uh, you know, then you get a lot of people uh, be publicists or whatever that, you know, tell them what to say or, you know, or, they try to heat right, you right. up, you know. I'm sure you've had that. Of, oh, you know, don't talk about this. And I'm just like, come on, no, what? yeah. So you know, yeah. I, I I don't I don't play that game because you know that's not my thing. So um, you know, I I just like to keep it fun and and, and 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 you know do it like that. So as you do too, I know. Yeah. Well, uh, you, yeah. Know, I, well uh, you know, I you know, like you were like saying you were, before. I, I like to. Let's have a good have conversation, conversation with somebody. somebody. Uh, at the uh, end of the day, you know, you talk about music, talk about. Just something that I think is entertaining for everyone involved in, you know, in in the conversation. And like you said, you know, when Udo comes up to be interviewed, 
40 people are interviewing him for the podcast. So, you know, how about Ludo? Can you really cover? Really, uh, you know, and I don't know if it's more a language barrier too, but he doesn't really talk too much interesting stuff, even though he's got a big <laughs> history. I always try to get back into the history of stuff, you know, but, you know, there's a difference between Udo and, as you say, a guy like Gene Hoagland, who right. you could talk for about hours, who's got, you know, no filters when it comes to <laughs> talking about history or talking about him being a fan. And and he's a guy that will readily admit, I mean, he was a huge fan of, you know, he grew up with, with uh, you know, the, the drummer for a la carte was his big influence, you know, Brian O'Brien. Uh, mm-hmm. He learned a lot from Brian and from Tony Richard, from Dante Fox. He was a huge Dante Fox fan. Yes. White and stuff. And, and he's not ashamed to talk about that. That's the thing about Gene is he's unabashed. He's, he's, he's honest. He's like, you know, he doesn't care. You know, he doesn't care what people think. So. Yeah. Um, I asked uh, uh, Jack Russell about Dante Fox and different things that Gene had brought up as a result, because we'd, we'd kind of gotten off track talking about, well, he talked about different, LA bands and he was saying, you know, a lot of these bands were better on the demo uh than they were once they finally got into the recording studio and someone tried to, you know, polish them up. Um but, you know, when I brought that up to Jack Russell, I said, you know, what's the difference? You know, what do you feel is the biggest difference between Dante Fox and Great White? And he just says, well, we had hits in Great White and we didn't in Dante Fox, so we must have not been that good. I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I've yeah. seen him lately. He's where he wears a Dante Fox uh, shirt every now and then. Yes, I mean there's a little bit of controversy, I guess, with between Kendall and him because I guess mm-hmm. he reissued all those old uh, Dante Fox demos on one of those retro labels. Uh, I can't remember, and and I heard right. online, God damn, I haven't heard these songs in years, and they were a bit polished sounding. It was like God, I don't remember them sounding because live. You know, it's funny back then, and this is something I talked to Brian O'Brien with all the card. It was like, man, you know, live, you guys were so good. They were like comedians. They were just so tight and so raw. And so, you know, they came out way heavier and on demo, everything was kind of slick. But that's in the early 80s, it was all about that slick production. It was, you know, before you had, you know, uh, you know, even the Michael Wagners. And, and nowadays, everything's pushed to the limit. You know, back then mm. it was all the producers back in those days, you know, metal was new. So they were all like jazz or prog. I mean, you even listen to old priest albums like, uh, uh, you know, uh, Hellbent for Leather or, or Stained Class. It's very slick. You know, the guitar is yeah. very clean. It's not, you know, rough. And that's how, uh, even though it sounds great because it's, because uh, I, I couldn't see those albums being produced with a modern production today. It would right. ruin it because that was like prog. It was, it was, Almost as prog as it was metal, the early Judas Priest, sin after sin, stained class, very proggy, and 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 his uh, voice was just so crystal clear. But na- you know, nowadays it's it's all beefed up. But when you when it comes to more you know more mainstream rock and metal bands, sometimes it gets too polished and it just you know it just doesn't capture their live you know feeling. So that's why I always love, love about live albums. You know, I mean those seventies live albums. Whether it be um, you know Strangers in the Night unleashing the East or you know uh, uh, Live and Dangerous or you know any of those classic live albums Foghat Live they're so much better I think the music than the studio because they mm-hmm. just go off and you know that that's how I think it was kind of on the local metal scene I mean you know and it even throws us back to a lot of the eighties when I was like the first Armored Saint record way too polished you know mm-hmm. Saint you know and, and and they'll say that as well yeah. Uh, you know, we could go on and on about production, but 
Yeah. That, that, that's funny though, because how many live albums broke those bands in the seventies, you know, for, for that specific reason, you know, you look at any one of those you mentioned, or even, you know, Motorhead, Motorhead's No, Sleep Till Hammersmith, um, Kiss Alive, um, Cheap Trick Live at Budokan. I mean, those were the albums Peter Frampton, you know, Frampton Comes Alive. These are all the albums that made those artists. Performance. Yeah, I mean, so many of them. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's see. We have a, a question in the chat. Let's see if I understand this correctly. Um, who band or artist most pleasantly surprised you? You went on stage with this and they turned out to be a powerhouse. Not sure I, I understand went, the question. I went on stage with it or, or when they went on stage? I guess when they went on stage. Oh, a band that, um, oh, like recently? I, I guess any band over the years really, you know, surprised uh, you when, when you got to see them live. Well, I saw the first uh, rehearsal of uh, Thin Lizzy with Ricky Warwick, and that was with Oh, wow. Uh, with Vivian Campbell. The only time he played, they had a, I yeah. know the manager, Adam, very well, and they had a, a, a rehearsal party, uh, you know, with a, a very close uh, a party at, at uh, Mates, and they just mm-hmm. sounded unbelievable. Uh, and that really surprised me because I didn't know what to expect. I, I know Ricky was a fantastic singer, and I couldn't believe how great he, he you know, sang the Phil stuff and the whole band, you know, was the dual guitar player. And like I said, Vivian was playing it. Uh, just just killer that was cool um uh, a man that actually blew me away i saw one of the i think it might have been the first la show at the trooper was uh the struts and i had heard their songs afterwards you know on on vinyl and wasn't that or or, or i'm still saying vinyl or just uh, uh you know uh, studio tracks and you know wasn't that thrilled but i remember seeing them live and i i knew my, I went with my buddy Jonas Auckland, who directed their video, big big video director, and mm-hmm. he invited me. And I heard of the band, oh, that band from England. Yeah, I heard of them. And he goes, "Yeah, they got you know they're they're all young kids, but they're all into Slade and Early Queen and Status Quo and, and all this stuff." So I checked them out and live. That singer had so much charisma, and I was like, "God damn, these guys are really good." They they remind I me mean, for being as young as they were. They just commanded the stage like those old seventies bands, and they had tons of kids that I, I had, you know, you know, the place was packed with young kids, just getting into it, tons of girls, you know, and he had, he looked like Freddie Mercury from the um, sheer heart attack record with the hair and, and right. had that charisma. I was like, God damn, these guys got it right. And I really dug them. And, and again, I, after hearing their music, I thought they had some really good songs. I mean, they weren't real heavy, but lively, mm-hmm. they really blew me away. I was like, wow, they really, uh, you know, know how to capture an audience, you know, in the same way. You know, uh, Bruce Dickinson, the front man does that. This front man had definitely had charisma. Uh, good man. Uh, but yeah. Um, uh, something I was really shocked was the first time I saw System of a Down in the clubs because I, I had heard about him. I, I saw him very, very early on. And, you know, my friend, who's the, I'm Armenian, and my friend, right. from Ar- did you hear this, this band? You know, and everyone's saying, oh, they're from Armenia. They come over from our System of a Down. They're playing the LA scene. My like, bullshit, you're kidding, you know, you're fucking with me. Because no, 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 they're like supposed to be, they're like <clears throat> really heavy, like industrial or whatever. You know, I don't know what, I don't right. describe I'm going to go see him. And I remember seeing him, this is when Serge had like this real long hair. He looked like uh, a Manson, just crazy look. And they came yeah. up on stage and it was like, 
what the fuck is this? It was like, wow, <laughs> these guys are definitely different, you know? And I didn't really know what to think. It was like, and I'm thinking at the time, these guys are great, but they'll never get big because they're just too, I mean, they'll never get, you know, mainstream with, you mm-hmm. know, on a major level. I, I figured maybe they'll have like a huge underground, you know, following, but, you know, this shit is just too weird because they were really, you know, going off on some weird shit then, but it was like, man, the crowd, you know, and it was funny because it was like probably, I, I could tell it was like about 80 or 90% Armenians, you know, like friends of theirs. <laughs> they were just going nuts, man. It was, the place was packed. And, you know, this is before no one, you know, before they even had their their demos out and stuff. Mm-hmm. It was like, wow. So that that was pretty impressive. And, it, you know, kind of brought me back, you know, the first times I saw Armored Saint in the clubs and, you know, Metallica and all, and all these, you know, early bands, you know, at the clubs. It was kind of that feeling like, wow, this is something different, you know. But uh, yeah, so yeah, I would say that. Cool. Seems like you've uh, answered the question because that's yeah. the response. Was, Thanks. Sure. That's exactly sure. what I was asking. So cool. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Um, before wrapping things up here, um, where should people go to pick up Bay Area Godfathers? You know, I always say Amazon. Did you get it through Amazon? Through yes. Spain? Am- yeah. That's no, always the easiest way. It's sold out here. Uh, I don't know if that's because they haven't started selling it, so I had to purchase it through the U.S. site. Okay, yeah, that's usually the best because they they're really good and they ship it uh, very quick. And if you're an Amazon Prime member, you get free shipping, and they usually have a, a good good cost. So for the actual DVD, I would go there. I think like Walmart.com, Best Buy.com, a lot of those. If you have a local record store near you that carries it, definitely, I encourage you to support. You know your local record store if you could get it. Um, you know, the metal rock site, I, you know, I've, I've had emails saying, uh, I, I think you still get it at metalrockfilms.com. Uh, look it up, but, uh, you know, I know Warren doesn't always keep it, uh, uh you know, the, the site itself current. I, so I can't tell you if they're, uh, have the DVDs in stock through there, but, uh, my best bet is Amazon. Yeah. Okay. And some of the other documentaries you've worked on are on streaming right now as well yeah, yeah. band vs. brand is a great uh film about the music business I, I don't know if you had a chance to watch that one uh that's uh through cleopatra mm-hmm. cleopatra entertainment and uh, you could get that at all that you could stream that on voodoo on uh, amazon prime uh and uh google play uh youtube uh for i think like 3.99 uh i think a lot of them are free free with ads too and i think they they um Tubi too has has uh, some of those on there as well. So, uh, yeah, definitely check that out. Uh, Bamber's brand, uh, okay, good movie, good awesome. And as far as the podcast, best place for people to hook up and find out what the podcast is all about. Should they go to uh, the CMSBN now or okay? Well, yeah, I mean, I always say it's, good it's easier to say shockwavesskullsessions.com. Okay, it. awesome. That'll take it right to the Shockwaves the Skull Sessions page. And then you could go on from there. And if you want to check out, uh, we've got a network, you know, obviously the the, the, the classic metal show, Aftershocks. Um, I don't know if Talk To Me is still on there. I know uh, 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 Joshua's leaving. He's doing something with NotFest now. Yeah. So yeah. we congratulate him for that. Uh, but he just brought in a new, uh, and something, I can't remember the name. It's a Dream Theater podcast with John Drake. Uh, that I think just got on there as well. And Poppet's Corner, Tanner Poppet, great dude. Yes. So uh, yeah, we got that. And maybe uh, 
maybe we should, you know, I should talk to them about getting Mars attacks on there too. <laughs> so, well, I'm, I'm, I'm always I'm willing to have uh, people check my stuff out. So, um, yeah, the, the I was trying to look up on my phone real quick. The Dream Theater podcast is, I think, Edge of Infinity or something like that, or something to infinity. And I know it refers to Dream Theater. So, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, Bob, I want to thank you for spending the last hour with us here. Um, as always, it's a lot of fun. Um, as Jeremy just said, the hour went by real quick because it's always a, a great conversation, a great uh you know, chat with you. So, uh, Dude, anytime you have anything to promote, uh, you know, I'm more than what well, um, the door's always open for you here. We always and love same, same with me for the skull sessions. We'll, you know, if we could get a, uh, uh, you know, another good topic we could discuss and maybe get a couple people on, uh, to discuss it with you. That would be great. I'd love to get you back on the show. Awesome. Would love to do it. So. Hey, I want to thank all the uh, the uh, people in the chat room as well. I've been reading some of the chats. You guys were all very nice, and I I really appreciate all the nice compliments you gave me. So. Yeah, they're they're always great. So, um, I, I'm I'm lucky to have these guys uh, chiming in every Friday. That again, it, it amazes me that people want to spend this Friday with me. You know, an hour on Friday, but it's always uh, cool to what, have what these people. It? So it's uh, pretty late at night your time now, huh? A little after 1 a.m. I'm nine hours ahead of you. <laughs> wow, you got some really hardcore fans there staying up late. Nice. Well, most of these people are uh, on the East Coast, actually. We have, oh. um, yeah, um, Jeremy's in the UK. Brad, who chimes in as well, he's out in Utah. Um, I saw, um, uh, I, for, I forget his, uh, Jonas, I believe is his name, or uh, uh, Jonas Endelman in Sweden. Um, and Chris t-shirt. Jonas Hansen's. <laughs> oh. Remember Silver Mountain? The old Swedish yeah. band? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've... That's for you, Jonas. <laughs> Armored Saint. Saint. There you go. Right on. You were coming on, so I said, yeah. I got to wear the Armored Saint right. shirt. <laughs> so, well, awesome. again. it was a total pleasure and uh, we will do it again soon awesome thank you sir all right thank you all right bye-bye bye that was my interview with uh mr bob now bandian i want to thank him for the time he spent i want to thank you guys for the time in the chat um a great friday a great um uh, a, a great conversation. You know, again, this is what I want the show to be about. It doesn't matter if it's the biggest person in rock or metal. Um, I just want to sit down and hear some cool stories and, um, and have the participation from you guys. That was an awesome question by uh, Art there. Um, and uh, some cool stuff uh, came out. You know, Bob told that great story about System of a Down. I mean, I can still remember hearing them on uh, WSOU for the first time and thinking, what the hell is this? I heard sugar for the first time, but after, you know, getting to hear it, I, I realized, you know, at least to me, I know they're not for everyone. Um, the uniqueness and the genius behind them. So um, there you go. I need to uh, raise my finger. Uh, anyway, uh, again, thanks for everyone that joined us in the chat, I know Rob had to uh, jump out early 
if he gets to listen to this in the chat, thank you for jumping in. Uh, thanks again to Jeremy in the UK, Jose up in Connecticut, and uh, Mr. Sinzak down there in Tennessee. Real quickly, I do want to uh, thank all of the uh, all of my patrons who, again, not only do most of you guys join me here on the chat on uh, Friday nights, I do want to thank you guys for backing what I do on Patreon and uh, the feedback that you guys give me there as well. And the interaction is so cool. If you haven't checked it out, it is Patreon forward slash Mars Attacks podcast. It is a troll free environment. It is a lot of video content every day, new bands, old bands. Um, you get the Victor M. Ruiz podcast, which is me talking about um, uh, metal news, hard rock and metal news. You also get the album of the week as well, um, where it's me doing an unboxing of vinyl for the next um, for the next month. It's stuff that I've recently released. So most of the stuff is uh, is pretty uh, current. Although there's going to be a kind of a swerve in the road. There are two reissues. One is a new reissue, but the other one is from a few years back. And there's going to be some distinct differences between what you guys especially in the states have seen so i think uh some of you guys will be interested in it so again but uh, uh again i i want to jump in and just thank all the patrons real quick jeremy or jeremy yes jeremy welcome in the uk i mentioned you already um but jerry from long island who recently joined jose from connecticut who's in the chat thank you sir for joining my Galaxy of Geeks co-host, Mr. Chris Vaglio, the metal dentist, Mr. Gabriel Ruiz, Talking Metal Zone, Mark Striegel, Yarg Metals, Brad Dahl out there in uh, Utah. Thank you, uh, Brad, for the support. And actually, Brad has added a direct link to Mars Attacks right there on yargmetal.com. So check that out. I appreciate uh, Brad doing that. I was checking the... Um, his stream earlier this week. And uh, there was a whole string of songs that were coming out back to back. And I was like, wow, this is so great. He had some Witherfall in there. And um, there was another track that came on right before that. I have to check Twitter. I forget what it was, but I remember it stood out to me as well. Um, thank you, Brad, for your support. And thank you for always coming on here and providing all of your great stories. So there you go. Mike Jones, um and Steve Hoker. So um Mr. Mr. Hoker was uh sh shockingly enjoyed the new D Snyder song because he is Mr. He is Mr. Uh Mr. Sister <laughs> or Mr. Twisted Sister, I should say. Not Mr. Sister, because that's the whole topic of uh, of another conversation. But um anyway, yeah. Um Thank you, Jose, for checking in. Hope you guys have a, a great weekend. Um, yes, you were saying that your wife is the coolest. And thank you, uh, Paula, for the kind remarks. Uh, Mr. Dahl, you were saying that uh, your brother, the CEO, deserves credit for that. Cool. I thank you, sir. I thank the Dahl brothers for, uh, for that. So there you go. Um, I'm going to post about all the songs we are playing. You turned us on to Ozzy tomorrow. Are you referring to 
Oh yeah, it may have been Ozzy's tomorrow. That's off of um <sighs> Osmosis. I love Osmosis. I know a lot of people always say, hey man, after no more tears, you didn't put out anything good anymore. Osmosis is a tremendous album. My biggest issue is that I wish Steve I had recorded that. I was supposed to. Or uh oh, Ozzy Tomorrow Blizzard of Oz. Brad, you can't imagine what a week it's been. So I completely forgot. Yes. Um, Blizzard of Oz tomorrow. A, a bunch of us uh, are are speaking to um, Mark Striegel for his Patreon about, uh, about Blizzard of Oz. And uh, yeah, I was thinking that I had to share my Chris Sangaridis story. But the last time I did that on his Patreon, somebody jumped out at me saying that they hated Chris Sangaridis' work. And I said, even Painkiller by Judas Priest? And they said, yep, even that. So, um, yeah. And the other thing that Brad is saying, uh, Steve, I did the whole album with Ozzy and only the Jack song made it. Yeah, uh, My Little Man. The thing that sucks is that they put that on the Prince of Darkness box set where you have Jerry Cantrell from Alice in Chains playing on it. And they didn't even put that version on there. Like, I don't know if they couldn't clear it or, or what the story was, but man, that would have been so cool. I, I think a lot of these artists missed the mark by not including some of these special, like unreleased things that we've been reading about for so many years. That would have been so awesome just to hear those Vi songs, even if it's just in the demo format, you know, people would just go out and buy that. Listen to... The um the Gene Simmons um the vault. What was that called the vault? Whatever that suitcase was that he put together. I apologize. Um the songs, the the demos that he has with the Van Halen brothers on that, Tunnel of Love, um, Love 'em and Leave 'em. And is it um yeah, it's calling Dr. Love, I believe. Um, sorry again, long week. Um, so my brain isn't working as, as well as it should, but anyway, th just always raises my goosebumps listening to that. Cause it's just so cool to think that's Gene Simmons. That's Alex Van Halen. And that's Eddie Van Halen playing songs that, you know, kiss ultimately did. Yeah. Jeremy is confirming the vault. Thank you, sir. So anyway, again, thank you greatly for everyone that has decided to spend this hour plus with us tonight. Thank you to anyone who listens to the replay. Uh, I appreciate your time. And um, Victor needs more sleep. <laughs> Are there 28 hours in the day? Can somebody arrange that? Um, but uh, anyway, yeah. Thank you guys. If not, I'm going to be thanking for the next four or five hours here, but thanks tremendously. I really appreciate it. And again, if you can help out in the uh, with the Patreon, two bucks gets you in. If not, just share, like. Um, when I do interviews with artists, tag them. Say, hey, great episode with, uh, with Victor. Great episode on Mars Attacks. That goes a long way to helping me secure other interviews and to get people to take notice and say, um, hey, we know who he is outside of Estonia. So um, interesting fact. 
finger, not the pen. Um, statistics show that Mars Attacks is in the top 10 most listened to music podcasts in the world, which is absolutely awesome. And that couldn't happen without you guys. So again, thank you. Thank you for everything, guys. And we will see you next week right here on the Signals from Mars live stream. And if you're listening to the podcast version on this, the Mars Attacks podcast. See ya. Thank you for listening to the Mars Attacks podcast. This concludes our show. 